And there we go. We're back again for another pre-recorded episode. And this is something that we'll be listening to in April 2021. So this is something that I've been doing the last couple of, of episodes with a couple of friends from different football clubs. And for me, this is probably the pinnacle of going back to our childhood days of uh, watching football in England. And I've brought back Luke. So Luke, thank you very much for coming back on the show. And I'm guessing if you're watching this, you'll know kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So Luke, thanks for coming. How you been? Yeah, very good. Just slightly offended you did a, a Spurs one before Arsenal. Um, he was yeah. available before you, so it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. We did it, we did it earlier in the day, but it was good. Not he. There was two of them. Uh, two of them, Michael and Ollie, were available during the day. But it's fun. It's all well and good. Um, yeah, no, I'm very well, mate. I'm, I'm excited to, to get going with this one. I've got, got a lot of uh, knowledge to get out, haven't we? And, and rivalry kind of mishmash kind of facts and whatever to... to you know, get the listeners going, I would say. And between us two, I think it'll be fun. and we'll, we'll have a lot to talk about. Oh, there's so much to talk about this one. And this one, if you've already seen by the title, it's the impact Thierry Henry and Ruud van Nusroy made in the Premier League during their time in England. So, Luke, first of all, what does Thierry Henry mean to you as an Arsenal fan? Oh, um, well, I think when he came to Arsenal, it was it was a time where you know we're growing up, and they're the kind of eras that you you remember at, at, at that age. You know, it, before that, I mean, when we spoke about it before in our little chat on WhatsApp, Hamza, we talked about what or other people might say, and we talked about someone might say Tony Adams or, or Ian Wright or someone like that. But Henri was kind of he joined um, in '99, and that was that kind of age where. You know, you're, you're you're growing up, and through the Invincibles, you, you kind of those are the players you remember. I couldn't really say anyone else that would have had a, a major impact apart from Terry Henry. It was kind of a, a, a no-brainer to, to do, mm. really. But um, no, it, it means a lot. I mean, for all the success that I've seen growing up, as I said, it was a privilege watching. You know, the Invincibles, and we spoke about before this podcast about um, you know the Chelsea Cup finals, things like that. Just he was all just a massive part of that, and something that. You know, um, he was at the forefront of, and even the move to Emirates and stuff like that. He was he was there throughout. So, yeah, anything that I've got kind of fun memories of, he's 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 in massively. He's a big part of it. Glad to hear that, and that's something that obviously when we were growing up in in our era, like people probably have got the gist that we were mid twenties. So we'll know that that's literally our childhood of growing up and seeing Tier and Re on the yeah. pitch. And I I said it to I think I said it to you, and I probably said it on somewhere else as well, but. This is going to come as a revelation to a few people, but for me, Thierry Henry was my first guilty pleasure football hero. You yeah. know, he's, he's the one that you would argue against every single time on the playground or with your friends or wherever. But secretly, deep down, you're like, he's still a footballing hero. He's still someone that yeah. I wanted to have on my team. He's someone that every fee for every pairs, I'd always buy Thierry Henry as much money as possible needed for my transfer budget to my team because he was, for me, one of the greatest players ever to grace the Premier League greatest player to play for Arsenal and probably the greatest opponent Man United have faced in the Premier League. That's a, that's a bold statement from you, but I'm happy to go with it. Rather, him or Sergio Aguero is probably the top two foreign talents in English football for me, I'd say. Yeah, definitely. And you, you hear about, you, you always see it crop up on Twitter and Instagram about defenders of the past saying, you know, he was the hardest player that they've ever played against. I think um, Carragher said it before, John Terry, people like that. And I think even wing-backs as well and full-backs, sorry, that would um, play up against him, someone like Gary Neville, I'd particularly say, because he was always between 
the centre-back and the, the right-back, wasn't he? That was his kind of position. That was what he was known for, taking in his stride. So, yeah, no, he, he was definitely, arguably, as you say, probably one of one of the best, if not the best, kind of foreign players to, to grace our, our shores in the Premier League, maybe. So, a big statement again. But, I mean, as you said, Aguero, maybe Ronaldo up there. But Henri was on, on a different planet at some times. Yeah, and that's something that, um, going back to the positional bit, that's something that I really enjoyed about Thierry Henry because that was a time when, in English football, formation was everything. Structure was everything in English football. And that's kind of when Henri changed from just a winger when he was at Juventus and Monaco. Obviously, I didn't see that, but that's when he was literally playing as a winger for France, uh, Juventus, Monaco. And Henri ended up becoming like that second striker or a third striker in a way because you'd have your, you had like Burkamp. And I'm not sure who the other struck was. I think it was Wiltor at the time as well, because Anelka had left. Arnu. Arnu uh, was all When he first came, I think it was Suka. Uh, Anelka had just left. So, yeah, those kind of players. Yeah, and that was probably one of the best deals in, in Premier League history. Selling at Anelka, getting a new training ground and getting Thierry Henry on the cheap. And look how well yeah. he blossomed as well. Because with Thierry Henry, he wasn't someone... It was like Cristiano Ronaldo when he first came to the Premier League. He wasn't happy just being in that one position as a left wing or as a striker. And in a 4-4-2 that Arsenal playing with a rigid midfield, a really disciplined midfield at the time. Henry was always floating about. You could see the spaces open between the right back and the centre back, like you said as well. And that was something that everyone kind of does nowadays, if you know what I mean. He's kind of a trendsetter in that way because you weren't... Arsenal weren't a team to keep lumping the ball forward all the time, like a lot of teams like Newcastle, Man United, Blackburn, Chelsea even as well. Arsenal Wenger tried something different with Henri, or maybe it was Henri that innovated it himself, where he was playing a more European fluid style of football, where he could actually drift out to the left or drift in from the left as well. And eventually he ended up doing Arsenal a big favour. And I think that's when he won the league in 2002, I believe, 2001, 2002. Yeah, I mean, that, that left-hand side was crazy, really, wasn't it? I mean, if, if we talk about a bog-standard 4-4-2, which we were probably still doing at that time, you know, on paper, but it was obviously a lot more fluid than that. But we had Ashley Cole on the left, uh, Perez and Lundberg kind of swapping between the left and the right. And then, as we said, Henri kind of dropping into that left-hand side. It's a strange move. I think he started out as a winger, or as a striker, sorry, but then was seen as, you know, he had the pace and the natural kind of ball control to go to the left, but he had that um, instinct of, of a striker already and uh, something that needed to be, I think, matured slightly more as he was at Monaco and Juventus. But yeah, he had some good times at Monaco from, from, from what I know, as, as you said, we didn't watch him. We don't really know too much about him, but he won the league uh, on with them. He was a World Cup winner before he came to Arsenal. Yeah, well yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Euros 2000 as well. He, he was part yeah. of well, actually, no, he's a big part of that. He scored quite a few goals. I can't remember how many it was now, but from, from mm. my knowledge, I know he scored a few, I think, in the group stages. But uh, no, like, he, he left Monaco as, as a successful player. I mean, they got to the semi-finals of the Champions League, I think, the year of 97, maybe. But then I think then the natural progression was going to kind of Juventus from there. And then there was issues with their kind of staff and Henri and... I think they said, you know, or he said, oh, you know, I'm never going to play for you again. And then he kind of rekindled his relationship with um, Wenger at Arsenal from, from Monaco previously. I think the story is, it might be a total fallacy, I don't know. He bumped into him on a plane and kind of convinced him to, to, to come over. And I think he knew of Omri already, as I said, and he knew of his struggles at Juventus a little bit. But um, yeah, that, that's the story apparently to get him over to Arsenal. And as they say, the rest is history. 
imagine meeting your future future manager on a similar fl- uh, similar flight. That'd be ridiculous. The man you're going to create greatness with, just on the same flight. Oh yeah, if you want to come to Arsenal, make your life a bit better. Little did they know, hey. Little did they know what was was about to come. I didn't know that story, so that was that was quite nice to hear about that. And then that's that's before we move on to who I'm going to talk about. I just wanted to see how Thierry Henry kind of changed the way Arsenal played as well when he came in, because at the time, like I said, you were used to seeing big centre forwards, big proper target men, and really good partnerships as well. But with Thierry Henry, that's kind of when him, Michael Owen. Zola probably as well. You probably say one or two, like the young Jermaine Defoe coming through. They were more pacey players. They weren't just put out on the wing to play. I remember a lot. You had Henri and Will Tord as as a strike partnership and you're just pacing between the centre-backs or between the back four of most teams at the time. And it was frightening, really. It was honestly frightening to see how you would pace against like 30, 35-year-old centre-backs as well. So like for, for me personally... I think that's he changed the Premier League in a way that you can't always have the pacey guys on the wing. And he had the pacey guys as strikers as well. And a lot of teams tried and failed to do that. But so I just wanted to know, do you reckon that was that was something that made a big impact to your team going into the Invincibles? Yeah, definitely. I think we we were in that transition phase of kind of getting rid of the, the bog standard fullback wingers and strikers at that time, um, as was football in general. But you know, I think Wenger saw with Anelka at that time, just before Henri came, what the, a pace kind of pacey strike could do to a defence. And Winterburn and, and, and Dixon were kind of on their way out towards those kind of years that he arrived. And yeah, he, he definitely changed our, our way of playing football, I would say. And, and, and the strikers we had before him, you know, with, as we spoke about, Suka wasn't necessarily the, the quickest striker. We had like players like John Hartson, Burkamp was obviously there before Omri. Totally kind of different players. Yeah, but I, I think would have would have opened Wenger's eyes into seeing, you know, what potential Henri could have had running up, you know, strikers, uh, sorry, defenders, and, and also, you know, in between the lines because he was ridiculously quick. <laughs> Ridiculously quick, and as, as his nickname was, Vavavoom, a lot of Renault Clio adverts going on, he was known for it. And um, yeah, I think I, I agree with what you said there, definitely changed the way that Arsenal played, but also I think that the Premier League and how, how we saw strikers. Because with me, I was there watching Thierry Henry do this every week, week in, week out, just taking on players. And my play that I'm going to talk about today was a completely different striker, and he yeah. was a completely classic number nine striker. You couldn't get more of a classic number nine striker than this guy. And the, ma- the man I'm talking about is Ruud van Nistelrooy. And Ruud van Nistelrooy is someone that saved us so many times in so many games and did so much for us so soon. And it was really sad to see the way that he left in like 2006, 2007, because at the time, Sir Alex Ferguson was, there was an incident with him and Ronaldo, basically, and Carlos Quieras. And Sir Alex oh, Ferguson um, supported Ronaldo instead of Ruud van Nistelrooy. He more, more or less backed him and it was the right bet at the time, but yeah, realist- realistically, Ruud van Nistelrooy was at his, he was coming to his twilight of his career. I mean, he moved to Real Madrid and played for Malaga after Man United, which was great. But realistically, that's kind of when the classic number nine was kind of making it his way out. The goal poacher, yeah. the 18 yard, that the fox in the box, basically. And that's something that Ruud van Nistelrooy really did. And he was the number nine that would play as a number nine. He'd play for himself. He'd make sure he'd score the goals. And, We've heard recently as well from like Gary Neville and Wes Brown, I believe, ex-Man United players, yeah. that whenever Man United finished the game at the same time as Arsenal on the same day or something, Vanistroy would always ask one of the coaches or check the news or the stats, did Thierry Henry score? Did Owen score? Did Fowler yeah. score? Uh, have you heard of that as, as well before? 
Like, he was always checking the stats for, and the other goals from other players. Yeah, well, he beat, beat him in, um, was it 02, 03? And I think uh, Van Nistelrooy got 25, I think, and Henri got 24. But the mm. years around that, um, Henri had won. So I can, I can kind of understand that obsession. I guess it's similar to what, going on at the minute with Mbappe and, and Haaland in, in Champions League and stuff like you, you get egged on by people don't you in everyday life as well you know but yeah I think yeah definitely that that would be a true story of him looking at what Henri was doing because they, they were totally different players to be fair and like you said I think Van Nistelrooy is more of the, the bog standard number nine um, very much a poacher um, wasn't really known for his pace really but was he'd turn it on but he wouldn't be in that position to really turn it on if you know what I mean He'd always yeah. play it on the shoulder of the last man. There's only a few games I can probably remember where his pace actually came into effect. Um, you may remember the goal against Fulham he scored and he just ran from yeah. the halfway line, took on two or three plays and just finished it, side-footed it in. But realistically, a lot of these goals were goal poacher goals and he scored, what, 95 goals in the Premier League in the 150 games for Man United. So Not he bad. was the guy just getting us the goals, basically. Yeah, yeah, I think anyone at that, that time, if they wore vapours, which were like a, a new kind of boot that weighed like the equivalent of a feather or whatever it was, were just ridiculously quick. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure if he was running against me or you, he was quick. But Definitely. yeah, I thought, yeah, to just, just kind of reiterate, I think it was more of the number nine than Henri was, but definitely a, a massive rivalry that, that they had at that time. And it was, it was great to see, really. It was something that, uh, I was really annoyed about when uh, Henri and Van Estre ended up leaving because realistically, I can't see any any golden boot battle being as big as those two. Like Ronaldo mm-hmm. and Anelka had it and Ronaldo and Drogba had it uh, when they were around, but like, they weren't massive. They weren't big because Ronaldo scored 30-odd Premier League goals in one season and the season after, Anelka beat him by like one goal. And then from the last decade, you've had like Aguero, Kane, Vardy, Suarez... And Percy, you're kind of in and around, but nothing really. Bamiyang. <laughs> Bamiyang, you're right. Forget, not, anymore, not anymore. Not yet, not yet. But yeah, it's it's one of those things where you're kind of expecting more goals from wingers now, like Mohamed Salah, from Mane, and from Son, etc., etc. Rashford even yeah. scoring the goals. Comes from Bruno Fernandes now, doesn't it, really? Yeah, and that's kind of what... Uh, it doesn't really annoy me in a way, but it's kind of sad because that was another battle you'd be watching every week. You'd be watching... Uh, would Didier Drogba get into form this season? Would Van Nistelrooy be scoring against this team? And if we're playing fantasy football at the time, Henri Van Nistelrooy, they were just shoe-ins for your team. They'd be scoring yeah, assisting every week. Imagine that was fantasy league. Oh, my God. That oh. would be great. It probably was in some... I think it was in the papers, but not, not online or anything. Nah, it was it was something odd, like Match Magazine or something. The Premier League probably had one, but I probably didn't use it at that time. Yeah. Um, but yeah... That was the kind of thing that I enjoyed about um, having these striker battles going forward as well. And Ruud van Nistelrooy did really well for us in the Champions League as well. He got us like a quarterfinal. He scored at the Bernabeu. He scored against Juventus. He scored two really good goals against Basel away in the group stage. Where he scored one from, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like the goal is like on the goal kick line basically. And he just side footed it in and just curled it over the keeper. I'll send it to you later, but I'll... Yeah, too, do, do. It, it was yeah. a really good thing. And for £19 million at the time... I remember when we signed him a year after we were meant to. And it was when Dwight York and Andy Cole were kind of coming the to PSV the PSV you signed it from, or have I made that up? No, PSV Eindhoven, you're PSV. right. That's where, the, that's where they ended up uh, signing him from. And that was just something where he became the sixth all-time European <sighs> goal scorer as well. It's so like Ronaldo and Messi are ahead of him, obviously. But 
Bannister is still up there at the moment. And it was just something that you're just there, like, he was a great goal scorer. He's someone that I can see elements in Cavani, I can see elements in Lukaku, but no one was there as a proper number nine like Ruvan Isra. And I don't think we've really yeah. replaced him in terms of the 30 goal a season man, the 25 goal a season man. We yeah. had that Van Persie season, but we don't need to mention that with you on here. That was just the one season. No, no, no. I don't know if you saw in Arsenal Wingers um, autobiography that apparently the season, was it after? After that kind of time, he asked to come back. Was that, would that been 14, 15 or 13, 14? No, it was, 13, it was 14, 15. I remember it was when Van Howe came in. That's when Van Persie wanted to come yeah, back. Yeah, he asked to come back. <laughs> apparently Wenger just told him where to go, really. But... Oh yeah, that that was a strange period, I mean, and we 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 fought off with Omri a lot of kind of you know um, transfer fees and whatnot, and I think that the year before we got to the Champions League final, or probably during that year as well, Barcelona were just on to um, Omri all the time, and and Real Madrid Ron Vieira, and it was just yeah, because everyone knew we were selling our stadium, it was it was a you know bound to happen, but we actually fought off Barcelona for a long long while, and I think. I reckon it was a big part of Henri kind of saying, you know, I'm, I'm happy here. He wanted to kind of, you know, leave a legacy at Highbury. He used to call it his garden and stuff like that. And um, that game against Wigan, even I felt emotions that last game at Highbury. Like, yeah, I was a, a neutral fan. Yeah. <laughs> you go to most games. So I would imagine you were full of tears as well, Luke, at Highbury. Yeah, it was strange. Throughout that, that, that season, there was quite a lot of things happening. I mean, Burkamp retired. You know, obviously it being our last season there and the Champions Viera League had a run. Well. And then, what was that? Sorry. Vieira left as well, didn't he? That yeah, yeah, season. yeah. He, he was in the, um, he was in all the photos at the start of the year and everyone was like, oh, he's going to stay, he's going to stay. And then he went to Juventus and then we got Juventus in the Champions League. And again, I'll, I'll never remember, I'll never forget this game, sorry. Um, where Cesc Fabregas was up against Vieira, basically. It was kind of like his... You know, someone um, kind of filling the gap. Yeah, yeah, essentially. And um, he he absolutely bossed it. I think he scored in that game as well. Fabregas um, sent Puff on the wrong way. Yeah, a, a lot happened in that year. And and I think, yeah, Omri was brilliant. I think, did he get top? Yeah, he got top boot there. I, don't, I remember writing it down. He got 27 goals that, that year in the Premier League. So not bad. No, not bad <laughs> at all. And even with Ruben Israel, that was kind of the season when he left as well, around 2006. He left. After we won the League Cup, and again, he just wasn't getting on with Ronaldo or Stratus Ferguson. So, Stratus Ferguson, you know, he was just ruthless with his players. If they weren't, if they're a problem at the club, get rid of them. Beckham, Schmeichel, Van Nistelrooy, Keane, it all happened as well. And we lost Keane that same season as well. So, that's when we kind of changed our type of football to more fluid football and more attractive attacking football than we had in previous years as well. Playing a lot of younger players, Sahar going on the last line, Rooney behind him, Ronaldo and Giggs, or Ronaldo and Park on the wing. That kind of thing. It was just going well at the time. But Ruvan uh, Israel leaving a legacy of 150 goals for Man United. That was just something that I really enjoyed. 150 goals in what, 219 games. He was always there for us. He could always score against us. Even in defeats, he'd still get his goal and still be happy with a goal, basically. But just to see this conversation somewhere completely different, this yeah. is something that I think you and I discussed as well, that with Thierry Henry in 2004 in that invincible season, how did he not win the Ballon d'Or, and how did he lose to like Ronaldinho? Because for me, that was one of the biggest yeah. robbery in world football for me. Again, as a neutral and as a guilty pleasure to Henry fan, that was awful for me to see that he lost. <laughs> yeah, it was strange. I, I, I don't know why. I, he was always in and amongst it. I think his closest, I can't remember now, I don't know if I've, I've read it down. Yeah, 2003 came second. 
yeah, he, he's always been there and thereabouts. But back in the day, again, this is just something when I've listened to podcasts before, it was it was voted for by journalists rather than players like it is now. Yeah, so there's journalists that, in like a French studio or something like that yeah. until like 2008, ish when Kaká won it, I think. Yeah, so there, there's theories behind that. I mean, obviously, we don't know whether that's kind of had an impact. But um, he... Yeah, he, he was very close with that. And um, I think 2006, he might have come third or second again. So it, all through those periods, he, he was on a different planet. I think it, it's not even just Arsenal fans that think this. And, and you know, even, it, you know, Premier League fans, I think everyone around the world thought that he was, you know, up there with potentially being the best in the world. But there was always kind of people around him that were pipping him to it, like Shevchenko, Nedved. Kind of players like that. Um, Michael Owen yeah, in two thousand one as well. He got he got one just before Thierry Henry was up yeah, and around yeah, it as yeah. well. So yeah, it was it was it's a bit insane. Um, but again, from from my knowledge of, of what I've heard of Henri, he always says, "Would he change? You know what he did? You know in terms of history, just for one Ballon d'Or, he just says absolutely not. You know, like it's not at the end of the day, it's a trophy. But you know, he's done so much more than than, than that, and I think he, he appreciates those kind of accolades a lot more than winning." a Ballon d'Or I can't believe that personally and I was just there um, at the time when we were look, we'd going through this with Henri and Van Estra, I was like how has he not won a, an individual trophy and for me he was someone that not only was he a showman but he was someone that was captivating to watch you don't yeah. get many players nowadays you get showmen here and there but you don't get many people who are like oh I'm going to watch this game because Thierry Henry's playing that's like like my parents are Arsenal fans and they would watch Thierry Henry more than they'd watch their own kids, basically. <laughs> they were enjoy they were they would enjoy it. My uncle was a big Arsenal fan, still is a big yeah. Arsenal fan, I should say. And he'd always tease us every Arsenal Man United game, Thierry Henry's gonna get you, he's gonna get past your defence. And you can't say anything because you know it's gonna happen. The only time it I don't remember it really happening was we won two 0 at Old Trafford and Skulls and Veron scored. But I remember whenever we'd go to Highbury. It was his fortress, it was his domain, and it was something where uh, Thierry Henry will always be remembered for, his hybrid days, for me personally. He did great at Barcelona, he won the Champions League, he went to the MLS, and he came back to Arsenal for the yeah. reunion, which we'll get onto in a bit. But the yeah. fact that he made Highbury his, his domain, his stadium, that's something that I will always find, uh, I will always appreciate it, really, because when I went to Highbury one time with my mum and my siblings, we went and we we're just like, yeah, you know what? That's where Thierry Henry was scoring that goal against Wigan. That's where he did this. That's where he did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that goal against Man United, not that goal where he turned and scored. Is it the power driver? Was it against it was, Carroll? Yeah, that one. Oh, yeah. three or four season, the unbeaten season. And he was just there. And you're just there like, yeah, what can you do? What can you do against someone like that? You just have to stand and applaud. Or at me at the time, a young Hams was just there like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think he was he, he changed the game a little bit when he came over. It was something new, wasn't he? I mean, um, a lot of players come over, don't get me wrong, you know, from France and stuff, but he was slightly different. He had a, a weird arrogance about him that, and he, he's even said it himself before, you know, that people, even Arsenal fans, would kind of, when he was warming up, he'd be wearing like bright kind of blue gloves, long sleeves, like the typical kind of Henri look, like... Mm. Um, socks over his knees and people would just be like, nah, he's not up to this, you know, type of thing. Yeah, like he, he had a difficult start um, to, to, to his career at Arsenal. I know that he, he didn't score for eight games, which doesn't mean, you know, that much. You know, there's not that's not that much of a, a drought. But yeah, he had, he had it tough. But then I think once he got that goal, I think it was against Southampton, he then had to wait another four games to get another goal. And then 
he ended up finishing the season with 26. So it wasn't that bad. And I think he he says that it took him about three months to acclimatise to, to the Premier League. And um, like you said, he, he definitely made Highbury his kind of fortress. And then, as we said previously, his garden. You know, it was, it was incredible to watch, really. Some goals I remember. Um, like you said, the Man United goal, massively. The, not the flick. I don't think I was at that game, but I was at the the one that um, he scored against Carroll, 0304. Spurs, you know, when he ran through everyone, the iconic one, when and he goes and slides in front of the fans. He did a similar one against Liverpool. There's just so many. So One he, of my favourites was against Chelsea, where he did the roulette past Cudicini and a young John Terry. It may have yeah. been in the FA Cup. I think it may have been in the FA Cup, but... He did that, and he was just like, yeah, it's what I do. And then he, he did it in the Champions League. He did a quick free kick against Chelsea. So, yeah, he, he, was, he just did things that you hadn't seen yet and that, that were so kind of out of this world. Um, and they're just seen as normal now. And kids these days will just see it as normal yeah. rather than, like, academies training or just watching it on their TV every, every Saturday when the Premier League's on as well. And that's yeah, something that yeah. I really enjoyed to kind of go through back in time with Thierry Henry and Ruud van Nistelrooy as well. Ruud van Nistelrooy was the guy that would score any type of goal in that 18-yard box and he'd always finish it. And that's like the epitome of a striker at the time. Thierry Henry was a trailblazer. That's someone, when you look at players like Mbappe, if you look at players like uh, Sadio Mane just coming through as well, other players we can suggest we can go on and on, but they're all from that same kind of mould of Thierry Henry coming on from the left, going into those half spaces between the right back and the centre back and just going through, slotting it off with ridiculous pace as well. And that's something that I've, I'm probably gushing more than I should, but it's just something that you just learn about, you appreciate it, and you just take it for granted at times, really, when you watch games. And that's something that only Thierry Henry can kind of say if, if he had that major impact on anyone coming through the Premier League. I would say he definitely did. Yeah, it was a bit of a, a maverick in terms of breaking the mould of, of the typical kind of skills that you'd see. It wasn't just about, you know, the step-overs and the drag-backs or whatever you want to, you know, kind of uh, pick out. But like he used to do things, I, I remember these distinctly from my time watching him at Highbury, like he would literally pass the ball to himself. He would go down the wing, punt it as if he was kind of passing someone else and just get after it, you know, but by himself, it was crazy how quick he was. He's, I don't know if you've ever seen it as well. He's done like, he, he kicks the ball with his standing foot, but it looks like he's going to go the other way. Have you ever seen that? Yes. Yeah. I've seen, I know what you're talking about. It's like I don't he, know if there's a name for it, but it was mental how he used to do that. And then it was just a ridiculous dummy. Like he tricked the cameraman, he tricked the defense, and the players oh. like Perez or Jumberg or Halep coming through, they all knew what he was doing. They knew he had done that in training previously, and they knew what to expect. And yeah, it, just, it was crazy. I think um I think he did one against Danny Mills and it made him look like a fool. But like even things like scoring, he scored a goal against Charlton, at like a backhill goal, which you probably wouldn't really have seen before that but just trying it and just going for it there was a real kind of panache about things he did and and they were definitely kind of unique and innovative all the time and even the way he controlled the ball he'd pluck it out of the air like most players would you know try and header it but he would you know kind of run a leap and control it you know with his with his thigh or whatever or, or foot just like mid-air and you'd, just, you'd be looking at like how have you done that it's really really crazy but um yeah yeah he, he yeah he, he changed the mould of of I think how we played football and, and probably had an impact on people now, like you said, Mbappe and players like that, that have, you know, because they're, they're both from Paris as well. They probably kind of followed a similar route. Yeah, I can't I can't wait to see if Mbappe can reach the heights of Thierry Henry. I mean, he's already got the World Cup with him as well. But yeah, he's got like, a little brother apparently that's just as good, which is going to be fun. 
Mm, it's like 14, 15, I think. I forgot his name, but again, it's Mbappe something. Yeah, I've got no idea what his name is. But, um... Mbappe Jr. will be good enough for us. Yeah, yeah. But no, I'm, I'm just happy to really go through memory lane with this. And just with me at the time, you don't appreciate, I've said this a lot, but you, you don't appreciate the players until they're kind of retired, really. And that's, a, that's an awful thing to do. But yeah. people listening to this or people going through their childhood and just going through how Thierry and Ruud van Nistelrooy made you feel like. Ruud van Nistelrooy made me feel a certain way in terms of, you know, when you're, he's coming on, he's going to score a goal. If you're winning 6-1, he'll score at least one. Uh, yeah. If you're losing in the game, you may lose, but Ruud van Nistelrooy will still score. And it's one of those things where you're looking at him and you're wondering, is that kind of a, a dying art in football now? Like this classic number nine. And I believe it is in terms of how you're looking at uh, if you want a striker just to score you goals in that 18-yard box to be a goal poacher, do you kind of see them anymore? And I kind of see them more as target men goal poachers than classic goal poacher. What would you say about that? Yeah, yeah. He was... I don't, I don't know how often he was really on the bench or, or, or came on. I think it would be from a resting kind of point of view. But he... Yeah, from, from what I know, the players would just look to him and just... Uh, you wouldn't probably see it now, but just be like commentary like well what can you do for us type of thing I remember against Tottenham I think it was 05-06 um, where we were struggling uh, I think Aaron, Rell- Aaron Lennon was playing as well so it was it was quite a young squad that uh, Tottenham had but he came on after being injured and just kind of saved us and I think that really helped us get fourth spot in that year I think it was I can't remember uh, the, the specific kind of stats behind it but yeah he was someone you'd always look look to he scored that last minute header against you in, in the Emirates Mm. Um, a lot of people criticise him for not scoring enough headers but he scores a header at Emirates against Man United so jokes on them really yeah like everyone was like the one thing Henri was missing was headers to his game but he did everything else brilliantly you can't complain about that yeah, yeah he kind of monopolised that that kind of open the body and you know side foot finesse finish that was his kind of thing you know yeah. around the keeper or you know yeah he was just crazy in terms of getting us goals and, and, and when it mattered most you know Bernabeu, particularly, you know, against Real Madrid, there, there, there was a there's, a, there's a kind of opinion. I, I don't know where it's come from that he wasn't a, a big game player, but he's definitely scored some some big goals and in, in, in big games. You know, like we spoke about two for Man United. Uh, that's just the, a lie. That's personally, that's just yeah, a lie. Vanistroy and Vanistroy and Henri were two big game players, and people saying he wasn't the Bernab like everyone will just look to that Champions League final basically against yeah. Barcelona and they'll probably look to the one against um, Man United where he didn't score it was Etu and Messi but realistically he was a big game and they'll probably throw the World Cup final in 2006 but every other big game like again, like that time when Jose Mourinho um, was like Henri doesn't score in the big game and then Henri replied two or, day, two or three days later yeah Chelsea's not a big game but I still scored in it so yeah, it's just I, Mourinho up at the time and I mean sorry to interrupt you there but that was just something that I had to throw in as well the fact that he would score consistently in the big games North London derbies was his, not Arsenal's or Tottenham, it was Henri's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I agree. I think it was just a kind of made-up thing by journalists to probably get into his head or managers, I don't know. But yeah, like we've already, we spoke about a couple Chelsea goals, we spoke about Man United goals, he scored at the Bernabeu. You know, there's, there's plenty of, of, of games that he's, you know, got involved with and, and been a massive part of. So World Cup final, the Euros as well. Yeah, so I don't really know where, where that comes from. But um yeah, he he was definitely someone we looked looked to to kind of help us out in situations. Not that we really needed it around that time, but particularly in in you know the first year of the Emirates and the, and the last year of Highbury was was our you know more struggling phase. Just to go back to the question as well, like when Henri left, 
you had a different kind of type of strike with Adi Bayor and Van Persie and Eduardo coming through as well. And that kind of that goes to where I was uh, leading the question regarding, uh, can you see the, did you see the kind of end of the number nine, the classic number nine of the 18 yard box? Because managers at the time were kind of wanting strikers to do more, looking towards like Drogba or Rooney or um, just other players at the time who were just there, like, you know what, we can do more. We can take on the opposition. We can hold the ball up, bring other players into play. Would you kind of agree with that? Or would you kind of say they were more leaning towards, they were still going for a number nine type of striker? like the big European clubs? It's difficult. I mean, from experience with Arsenal, during that time, as you said, we had, when Henri left, we had Van Persie, um, Adebayor, Eduardo, Bentner at the time as well. And they were totally different kind of players. Eduardo, if you put anything on a plate, kind of before his leg break, he would um, he would finish it, no problem. Bentner was, was a tall, kind of young, arrogant, hungry striker. But he would often be played on the right. Uh, Van Persie was totally different. Again, just had an absolute wonder of a left foot. Um, and again, was was really good with his feet as well. But yeah, I think in terms and of... Sometimes played on the right as well, if I remember correctly. To like yeah, yeah, allow yeah. Eduardo or Adibayor to start as well. Yeah, we, we, we held on to the 4-4-2 for a long, long while. Arsene was probably one of the last few people to change that, really. Mm. Um, again, that, as we said earlier, that's on paper. We're seeing it as a 4 4 Whether that's what it was, we don't know. But yeah, Henri was, was definitely different. Because when he went to Barcelona, he did change back to a, to a left winger, really. Yeah. Um, because, again, there's a story that I've heard is that when he eventually did go to Barcelona, he... He was told, who was there at the time, Ronaldinho was going to be the man. I think it was Rijkaard. He said, yeah, you know, it was Rijkaard and there's like a Ronaldinho, and Eto, Johnson, Henri and a young Lionel Messi. Yeah, yeah. and a young Bojan as well who's coming through. Quite yeah, and, and he knew, well, or, well, he agreed that, you know, he would be kind of on, on the, in the background, but wanted to prove him wrong. So obviously he was being a bit clever with all that kind of stuff. But yeah, to, to facilitate that kind of front three, he, he moved kind of back out to that left hand side so maybe even even himself you know he changed slightly um his, his gameplay as modern football kind of adapted as well because that was that wasn't the case for Rudy Van Nistelrooy as well because Rudy Van Nistelrooy had gone from being in the partnership with Wayne Rooney, Saha, Alan Smith, Solskjaer and sometimes Paul Scholes as well when he's playing as an advanced midfielder uh he was there along with the whole Galacticos at the time as well like Beckham Zidane had retired, so it was more like Guti, Gravison in the midfield as well. A young Rubinho coming through. Yeah, that was a strange time. It was it was when their Galacticos were kind of leaving and they were they past their peak and stuff. So he was meant to be one of the guys to kind of lead them to the next stage of um, European glory again because I didn't want it for a few years as well since like 2002, I think. But yeah. he, he couldn't do it. Beckham ended up leaving that uh, one season after Van Nistelrooy was there. That whole Beckham-Van Nistelrooy combination was magical at Man United, but it was nowhere near the same at uh, Real Madrid as well. Yeah. And that's kind of when uh, Robben was coming through, Schneider was coming through at Real Madrid, and it just didn't click for Rudy Van Nistelrooy. He scored in a, a couple of Clasicos. He still made his European goals here and there, but he he was kind of being phased out the game because, again, in Spain, you would have thought with a lot more space behind the defence, Van Nistelrooy would have still been on the last man, but he, he kind of wasn't, and that was annoying for... Um, again, normal fans like us watching Champions League football every midweek, Tuesday, Wednesday, because he wasn't scoring as much. And he still scored a lot of goals, but he yeah. wasn't getting the chances as much because it was more possession-based at Real Madrid than it was at Man United at the time. 
Yeah, they're, they're not very forgiving up there either, are they? <laughs> so yeah. you get your chance, got to take it. And then that was another thing where Ronaldo ended up coming in when Van Nistelrooy left the season before or the season after, something like that as well. And then Ronaldo became the phenomenon at uh, Real Madrid and Van Nistelrooy ended up going to Malaga. But again, that kind of shows the hidden the hidden romance in, in a number nine striker that it was a dying ember at the time. It was a dying star where you're just there, like he's there scoring the goals, getting the glory at Man United. So doing that every other week at Real Madrid to then not being that relevant at Malaga and not being relevant in European football. And again, no disrespect to Rivan Israel, sixth all-time European goal scorer at this time yeah. of speaking. But it's just one of those things that with Henri, he ended up adapting his game again and again under Arsene Wenger, under Frank Rijkaard, under um, different French managers at the time as well. I forgot who it was. Was it Deschamps or someone like that? Um, I'm not too sure. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, with Van Nistelrooy, still score at the Euros in 2008, 2004, and the World Cup in 2006. But again, he's always that striker that demanded the ball where he wanted it. And that's why Beckham was so good. That's why Giggs was so good. Uh, Mikel Silvestre, especially from left back, was really good at the time. But it was... Oh, my God. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, we kind of gave you the wrong end of the stick there. But yeah, with the new players coming through, like Ronaldo and Rooney, Fletcher, Jason Park, you still expected it, but Sir Alex Ferguson went a different route to be a more fluid, expansive Manchester United team. And that's when we ended up growing into uh, league winners again, double winners, that kind of thing. And it's just one of those things that both of our footballing heroes at the time, our striking heroes at the time, went off into the sunset in their own way. But there's nothing to take. You can't take any way, anything away from them. The rivalry they had was magnificent and something that people really should learn about in this day and age. If you're looking at becoming yeah. a striker and you're an academy player or your, uh, your son is, or daughter are looking at becoming a striker, I would personally say look at Ruud van Nistelrooy. Look at the way his technique is. Look at the way he uh, strikes the ball. If you're looking at becoming a winger, if you're looking at becoming a second striker, tear on Reed all day, every day. Look at the way he would dribble with the ball, how precise he was with his passes and for a wing and a striker passing isn't really up there Wayne Rooney's up there I'd say Harry Kane's up there Thierry Henry was one of the first to be up there for me as well as a striker to have excellent passing and sometimes he was even on corners as well which was brilliant yeah he, really he, good he, he had a good free kick on him as well and it was like with a couple steps it wasn't you know your Roberto Carlos or your Ronaldo type of free kick it was literally just hands on the hip uh, I think Proivo even made like a free kick kind of. Um... They made his his run up, his run up, and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Roberto Carlos's run up, and probably Ronaldinho's. I think at the time, just those yeah, three yeah. just stand up. And it was just a hands on the hip kind of two steps back, and then um, you know a bit a bit of whippage around it. But um, yeah, yeah, he 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 definitely adapted his game and changed it a little bit as as we went on, and um, yeah, particularly towards the end of his career, he didn't have the blistering pace that he had. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, just to end it, we'll just go through your top three Thierry Henry memories because we've gone through so much and I'll go through my top three Rude Van Nistelrooy memories. So Ooh. you can start. Let, let, let's would, would, it, would, it, would it be that little picture you showed me? You may not show it on the podcast, it's fine. But... Oh yeah, I haven't even mentioned that. Um, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, well, why don't we go back and forth with memories and that, that will help jog mine a little bit. But um, yeah, yeah definitely one, one of them would have been meeting him properly in person when I was mascot at St. Mary's. Uh, I think that was 2004, maybe. Mm. I remember some head, 0405. And he, um, yeah, he, he was brilliant. He, he wasn't captain at the time, it was Vieira. But um, yeah, that, that was definitely up there. And I've got 
quite a lot of photos with him and stuff, which which was nice. I mean, he wouldn't know me if I walked him to him now on the street or whatever. But yeah, again, just meeting your kind of hero and your idol and someone that's, you know, had a massive part of you, you growing up was great. Um, great moments I had to have. Didn't score in that game, I don't think. I think it was Van Persie, maybe. Mm-hmm. Who then got sent off. I might be totally wrong there. Was that the one where um, David Prutton got sent off? Where we were, yeah, we were in that blue kit. Got sent off. Yeah, yeah, I remember was that. Was it Van Persie that scored? That's terrible. I should know that, but I think it was. I might be wrong. <laughs> just David Prutton, of all the names that comes out, just watching the Premier League years that bit too many times that comes out for me for some reason. Rude for me, personally, he scored one. It would all be down to his goals, really, but. For me, one of my favourite revenge memories was when he scored against uh, Juventus in the Champions League. I believe it was in the group stages. I may be wrong, but it was at Old Trafford as well. And it was just something spectacular for him to kind of do at the time. Uh, he was just scoring goals for fun, but he scored against one of the toughest defences, even at that time with uh, Buffon and um, Lillian Torrand and Barossa at the back as well. I think it's one of the best teams in Europe. And he just ridiculous. He just celebrated like mad. Normally, he just do like a yes, come on. But he yeah. he went insane that, and that was one of my favorite Ruvanisroy memories for me. Um, that's I'd say that's number three. Personally, I'll go in order. Number three, that's mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely a good one. I'm trying to think. Of mine, my second one, maybe actually not maybe, but definitely up there is the um, the Berna Bow goal in the Gunner Galacticos as, as as they call us on on the commentary in that game. Obviously, wasn't there at the Burnabout, but um, yeah, that that was again a huge kind of arena and a huge um, kind of event to, to get that goal, and I, I remember it massively. And and I just, to to do that, I, he brushes off. I think it's Ronaldo, then Guti, then Ramos, um, and then he's going away from goal, and he's in that beautiful yellow kit with a massive red captain's armband on, white and gold vapors. I, I just remember it so distinctly. I remember weird stuff like that going away from goal and he, you know, hits it across it. It was just a, a great, great finish and a, a great memory. And that, that, well, that was kind of the point where I was like, right, we might actually go pretty far, you know, we might actually get to the final. Um, and yeah, you know, it was a, a massive memory and, and something that I love from, from the start to the finish of that move, um, you know, because I think we were the first English team to win at the Bernabeu um, after, after we won that game. And, you know, Champions League wasn't our strongest necessarily kind of competition. We we done quite well in it, but not not the greatest. But yeah, it was just uh, to, to to beat the the Galacticos as they were um, with Henri's goal was a fantastic memory for me. Definitely, and that's something that you'll see every now and again on social media as well. When his time wasting in the corner at the Bernabeu was telling the fans to calm down, and just the aura of that man was ridiculous. That he could do yeah. that to eight thousand angry Spaniards at the Bernabeu. Hmm. My second memory of Ruud van Israel, one of the top ones definitely for me would be, I mean, I mentioned Basel earlier, but again, no one will remember that. That was a really good game. Again, I'll send it to you later. But for me, it was when, I think, I could easily say like a, a game like against Newcastle where he scored a hat-trick, but for me, it was more along the lines of the FA Cup against Millwall. We had a really good FA Cup run that year and the year before, uh, we lost to you at Old Trafford. We lost uh, 2-0 or 2-1 when Ryan Giggs missed that open goal. So to see Ruud van Nistelrooy, yeah, it was an awful game. I remember my, my brother told me he went outside and he was really upset with Ryan Giggs and he was just angry the whole weekend. I think and Edu was... deflected free kick. Mm. Edu against Bartes, I believe. Yeah, I can't remember. If I remember, if I remember correctly. But yeah, when we won against Mill, but we had that uh, 
game, that semi-final at uh, Aston Villa's at Villa Park again against Arsenal. Paul Scholes mm-hmm. scored that to make it one 0 but Vanishra had a really good game against you. And if you remember, that was the same season where he got kind of bullied by Arsenal and and their team after Martin Keown and the penalty love miss that. and Vieira and all of that. I so, love that. <laughs> I'll obviously throw it in there for argument's sake and for old time's sake, but for, for him to have a really good game as just a player um, against uh, Millwall, basically, I think we won 3 0 that game anyway, but the fact that we, we did really well in that FA Cup, that's probably my number two for me. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember that FA Cup final as well. That was weird. Even Millwall being there. Was that when Tim Cahill played for? Yeah, that's literally how I got recognised and went to Everton a year or two afterwards. Uh, my number one, I think it's got to be what, what you kind of mentioned in the Zoom earlier. Again, I've gutted, but I wasn't at this game. It was, it was, I think it was a midweek game, FA Cup against Leeds. But um, yeah, it's got to be his, his comeback goal against Leeds, and and it's what he says is the closest you kind of can get to scoring as a fan. And, and he said that that goal is nothing like any other goal he scored, and and it's his favourite because. That was the one goal he scored, as I said, you know, as an Arsenal fan, um, which was a great, great memory for me. And I, I, I watched it earlier, just getting the, the goosebumps from it. And you can see emotion in Henri's kind of celebration you've never really seen before. And there was nothing that would stop him again. Like he was just barging everyone off him, just pumping his chest, everything. Like it was just such a... And it was such a typical Henri finish. It was an Alex Song, you know, ball um, in between the, the right back and centre back. Again, open body, taking it in stride and just curling it into the corner. It was just everything. And and um, yeah, just everything I remember about Henri and it being the kind of, it wasn't a, a massive game against Leeds necessarily. It wasn't a, a big opponent, but it was just a kind of fairy tale um, kind of moment. And it's something that, you know, I'll remember for, for, for forever, potentially, hopefully. <laughs> it, it was very tough. And the fact that he goes around celebrating like that after a third round, yeah. um, third round win against Leeds just shows you how much the club meant to him and how much Arsene Wenger meant to him as well because he went to him after the game. And it, again, everyone was happy about that, unless you're a Leeds fan, obviously. It's just nice to see Thierry Henry back in England, even though it was a short little cameo alone that he did. And it was just one of those things that, as, as a fan, scoring a goal like that, everyone would celebrate like that. Probably wilder, but it was just nice to see Thierry Henry back. And it was a really good finish as well. Open body, like you said, between the right back and centre back. And that was brilliant for me, for everyone really. Yeah, to, to watch that. I mean, I, I don't know what order I would have put those three kind of memories, but they're all kind of on the same kind of playing field. They were such great memories I have of Henry. And I could probably be here till... Eight o'clock tomorrow morning, let alone eight o'clock at night now, talking about Omri. You know, it's, it is a three, it's, it's really hard to kind of pick three on a singled out, but yeah, definitely up there, those three. With me, my favorite Ruud van Nistelrooy memory would be again, I think you kind of know what's coming, but it's that goal against Jens Lehmann, the penalty, the mm. again, the magnificent celebration he had, and the whole aura of beating Arsenal and ending your unbeaten run at the time. and having the bragging rights for the first time in, in in a season in the Premier League. That was an awful game to watch as a fan. I'm pretty sure you were probably nervous as I was when we were watching it. I was at uh, like a family friend's house. Here, here, I was at my nan's. <laughs> I, I was just there. I'm like, uh, you, like my mum and dad were, weren't watching the game, but like, you have to be respectful. You have to be polite and this, that and the other. I'm just like, nah, I can't, I can't. I'm so nervous. And then I remember running out of um, the room where the TV was on when Van Estro got the penalty. 
they weren't yeah. they weren't that mad at cheering they were just like oh yeah vanished for a score I was like nah this is insane this is ridiculous and his celebration into the camera and everything and the knee slide to the corner and yeah, that meant so much to Man United fans that season because that was our trophyless season where we lost to Arsenal in the FA Cup final that year as well. Again, we could do a whole episode on the Wenger Sprague Ferguson rivalry, and we could go completely dive into that as well. We didn't really have many positives that season. Um, Wayne Rooney signed was a big one, losing in the FA Cup final. We lost to AC Milan in the Champions League, but that Van Nistelrooy goal and the Rooney goal, the second one afterwards, that just meant so much to us after. Such a hard-fought battle against the Arsenal team, that ridiculously solid, rigid Arsenal team. And you had Sol Campbell, Lauren, Ashley Cole. And I think Sigan was playing that game in centre-back. That, that was a disgraceful game. I'm not even going to go into details about that game. But you just... Let us know if, we, if, you, if you want to do another episode of Arsenal and uh, Man United rivalries. I'm pretty sure everyone would love to hear about that. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah let's pencil it in. Let's pencil it in. Let's do it. Uh, but no, sorry, you were saying... Uh, no, you yeah, had just about the the game itself. Well, I don't want to go into too much detail, but yeah, absolutely gutting. I remember being at my nuns and you know ending that um, unbeaten run that we had. And was it Sol Campbell that tackled? Or, well, not even tackled or any tackled. Yeah. yeah, big inverted commas there. I'll, but, I'll happily go with the inverted commas of tackled. Yeah, absolute joke. But um, yeah, you know it was bound to happen one day. But it was just annoying that it was on forty nine that it could have gone to fifty. That really bugs me. Mm. But um, but also, they, yeah, that more importantly, it was against Man United, which was, you know, real salt in the wound. Definitely. And we were the biggest of rivals at the time. And that's something that we could happily talk about for another six episodes, I would say. We could easily, easily go yeah. down that route as well. Um, but no, thank you very much for your time today, Luke. Everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed having this conversation and going down memory lane again. Obviously, this is a pre-recorded episode for... Ramadan so now I'll be having some laughs and jokes when I'm listening to this when I'm driving to work there and back again but, <laughs> yeah. uh, as always thanks again Luke thanks for your time and hopefully you get to see you soon yeah you too mate take care bye bye